1: That Arsenal are through to the FA Cup semi final. The bad news is that we would have to beat City in the semi and likely Chelsea in the final, and surely, surely, that is simply impossible. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. The good luck, man. On Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. As exciting as it is to be in the semi final with City in the semi and Chelsea in the final, potentially, we just can't do that. That can't be done. I can't think of any possible way in which Arsenal could beat City in the semi final of the FA Cup and then beat Chelsea in the final of the FA Cup to lift the cup if only there was, oh, wait, we did it in 2017. So, what's past is prologue, it's all just a little bit of history repeating, and we are basically already, I think you'd have to say, FA Cup champions, by dint of what we did in 2017, Uh, so surely it will happen again, and I'm excited to talk about that when it happens, but for now, we will talk about Arsenal's glorious victory in the FA Cup, 2-1, late Ceballos winner, always fun when that happens, beating Sheffield United, and it's always great to beat a a bigger, more successful club in the Cup, and we did that
2: this time, so that was great. Tim's on Twitter, at hello Tim. Hello there. Can I just point out as well, two FA Cup finals against Chelsea, not lost either of them. Two FA Cup finals against Manchester United, not lost either of them. It's in the bag. And one FA Cup semi-final against
1: City and not lost that either. So, I mean... In the bag. Yeah. Hard to see any other outcome. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Yeah, hello, hello. Okay, let's dive into it. So... um or look, the Ganduzi thing is going to be in this pod. We're going to talk about it because I think you have to, but we're not going to do it up front. We're going to talk about, get this, football first. <laughs> so stupid, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, Paul, the the lineup is an interesting one. I think that it it demonstrates to some extent that Arteta is taking the FA Cup seriously. It also showed a good degree of rotation. Um... Lacazette comes back in and gets a starting spot. Saka has to play every single game because he is our, our single best chance at winning football matches, apparently. But what I want to focus on with you is this, this move to a back three. Um, Lewis Ambrose wrote a great tactics column for Arsbog. Do you think that Arteta is leaning this way, uh, or do you think, kind of like what Lewis wrote, that it was a response to the front two that Sheffield would use and, and the way they they try to pack that midfield of 4 Two two two. That's kind of like a four four two. So, back three. A a future for Arteta or a an um, opponent based tactical switch?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I have the same question. It seems to be uh, something one of the one of the smart people commented on that was that Guardiola would tend to have and Bielsa to a degree would tend to have one more centre back than. Uh, strikers. So, if there were two guys up front, there'd be three centre backs. Um, so that that matches the last couple of games. The other thing you could say is, given the state of disrepair and um, kind of returning to the fold of of our various centre backs, the mix and match, the fact that that we really don't have a, con- a coherent uh, centre back pairing at the moment. It might have been Mustafi and Luis for a while, but Luis is only struggling to get back to match fitness. And we saw him uh, pop a screw uh, in this game. <clears throat> so uh, it, which is it? Is it just a kind of a short-term fix? Cause he doesn't have a back line He feels fully confident on it, They all seem to be able to perform pretty well, at least in open play, maybe not off corners and set pieces, but in open play, we look fairly secure at the back over the last couple of games. And um, when you let three of them work together, um, and then the argument comes down to, you know, in the past, three of the back was a very conservative uh, formation, and I, we'll get into lots of this talk, but I mean, is it three of the back? It's three of the back sometimes, but as we move up the field, you've got two centre backs. It might be um, Mustafi and Holding, but Kalasinac has turned into a, a full back pushing up almost to a wing-back, Tierney's average position is higher than Saka's. Uh, for that matter, Willock's average position in this game for balls received is higher than Lacazette's. So starting p- positions, schmarting positions, um, how do we play with and without the ball? Uh, but you basically see that swirl around that bottom left-hand corner around Chaka to make him comfortable on the ball, facing forward. And he's got, you know, behind him, he might have Luis. Uh, to his left behind him, he has Kalasinac. To his left, he's got uh, Tierney. And somewhere up ahead of him in midfield or drifting towards the wing, he has Saka. And he's got Willock pushed ahead at an angle. So there's basically spokes in a wheel radiating from Chaka from so that he has options upfield. All sounds great. We must have really killed them. Of course, the the game was a little more challenging than that. But it, it, tactically, I don't I don't love all of our football at the moment. But it's tactically very interesting to see these tweaks between games. We didn't have the bellrin factor with with uh, Maitland Niles sitting in midfield in this game. So each game's got something a little different. I'm mm. sure we'll talk about the the Pepe wing. But things this ended up being a much more balanced. Um, Lineup, And I think Saka coming into midfield, as we talked about on the Twitters, had a big piece of that in that as Tierney pushed up, Saka pushed in, Lacazette dropped Mm. into midfield again, and it just gave us more options through the middle. And we did more attacking through the center than we did in in the previous game or maybe two. Yeah,
1: I mean, a lot of things came from the wings, but they got there originating through that box 14 we talked about in in the last pod, just being able to get into more advanced central spaces. And Clive, I'm wondering for you um, if one of the features of this game that was interesting was a slightly better balance of the wings. Um, You know, I mean, obviously we still had a tremendous left side bias and, and we really opted to use wide spaces again, but, but there was more balance. And I'm, I'm curious if, there's a focus for you on Maitland-Niles coming in and helping create that balance, or if you think that Arteta had keyed on it a little more in his preparation for this game, how do you feel about the way we we found a way to unlock a little bit of Pepe and, and access to the right, the right side of the pitch?
4: I, I thought our movement and connectivity was better. You know, my, my biggest fear is when we get disconnected. And because of the, of the athleticism of Saka, Willock, Maitland-Niles, and Pepe, I think those players just jumped out the screen to me, the way they just transitioned from zone to zone. Their ability to travel with and without the ball is really quite eye-catching. I think in the first half, when it became a, a through-the-pitch game, I felt we were much better. Because when Sheffield tried to run through our midfield, we caught them up from the back. And when we had the ball and we broke, we ran away from them and we gapped them. And so that's that's a pleasing thing for me. For somebody that's consistently spoken about our, our lack of running power and our inability to run with teams and we get outrun and pushed back, that excites me. So that more than the – and there were moments when the execution was wrong, but doing what we did to push them back is really exciting because this is a decent side that were outpowered. And the only way they got back in the game was by going back, to front, basically missing out the midfield and that's when we had to change our tactics slightly so I think the connectivity of those players allowed us to get around our star players, I felt the variety of movement, so we didn't just have Pepe on the outside when Pepe was on the outside, Maitland Niles went on the inside, so he got two lines and vice versa, so it was never on the same line, I felt the way the players reacted when Shaka had the ball, when Shaka had the ball he always had targets running to him not running away from him all the time, and so if he was going from left to right, if you watch it a few times, Maitland-Niles comes in. he receives it as a midfielder, then spreads it out, and Pepe did the same. Lacazette did the same. Saka's is just too smart for everybody. He he does he does everything right, right. So, and um, it's a recognition of a player that needs to move it in two touches. So off his first touch, I must be available. The only time Shaka got in trouble when he lost his picture and he had more than two touches and he got robbed twice in the game and they transitioned on us. The rest of the time he looked so good because the movement was so choreographed and in sequence. As soon as he got it, there were people coming at him and ready to switch it forward. He was really interested. It was much less back passing two centre backs. It was more inside to him to then go again or into Willet to go again. And I just think when you start to see, now what I want to talk to you about a little bit, was when you start to see players that their first touch is a stride forward, what that promotes is proactive movement in the forward player, in the next player, because they can see you step onto it. First touch, I'm going forward. I'm now attacking. I've now got to move to support the attack. When you see players get the ball inside and bodies, don't go forwards, goes inside or backwards. What tends to happen is you get static movement. You don't get movement. Because what? when should I move? When should I go? Do you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's no fluidity because we close ourselves in. And so all those players I mentioned are progressive and forward-thinking with their first touch. And we looked really athletic in that first half in particular. And it's only when, as I said earlier, when Sheffield went long... Did our game get challenged? Yeah. So the the more, so last bit, mate, the more athletic yeah. mm-hmm. bodies you get, particularly around our superstar forward, the better he looks, the better we look when we play that way.
1: Yeah, and, and I just need to crack something. I had a bit of a brain fart. I was reading Lewis's tactics column earlier today, and of course it was about the Southampton game, not the Sheffield game. And so I referenced the four two two two. Uh That's not this game. Obviously Sheffield have that 3-5-2 that, that they use with those yeah. inver- inverted or uh, whatever the heck you want to call it. But, um, overlapping centerbacks. Over, overlapping yeah. centerbacks, thank you. Yeah, so, well, well, Tim, one of the things that I think is interesting that, that is a change in this game, uh, in the first two games after Project Restart, we really operated with a pretty standard two in midfield, right? I mean, whether it was uh, mm. Ganduzzi and Ceballos, you know, playing on plane with each other, two, you know, more of a traditional double pivot, you might call it. This reminded me a little more, and we touched on this on the Patreon podcast, of when Arsene Wenger used a 3-4-3 a three, three, sort of late in, in his time at Arsenal when he had Ramsey and Shaka there and he'd let Ramsey sit, uh, pardon me, Shaka sit and let Ramsey go. And Shaka and Willick did something similar in this game. Shaka was really interesting. In the first phase of buildup, he was very, very deep with Mustafi even deeper behind him and then Willick would go and just run forward. And at one point, I sort of freeze-framed the game while I was watching it. And up across the the top of their box... Was those five attacking channels, and it was Tierney, Saka. Um, uh, pardon me. It was well, uh, yeah, Tierney. Yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah, and yeah, Lacazette. Tierney, yeah. Saka,
1: Lacazette, Willock, and and Pepe across the front five. Um, Willock mm. was really making up that extra attacker, that fifth attacker, and Shaka was playing almost as a, a single player between defense and attack. So, I mean, how did you feel about that? Construct and and the verticality it gave us, um, you know, if not maybe necessarily the same midfield solidity. I mean, obviously you're not going to dominate play in midfield when you have one in there. But how do you feel about Willik kind of going up there and joining the the line of five attackers?
2: Yeah, it, it it's the it's certainly the type of player um we needed and we you know we can have the debate and we, we did have a bit of a debate on the patreon pod about the actual quality of willock um at certain I feel moments free to touch but, on that,
1: of course yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's but that's um but but that's what we needed we needed someone who gets between the lines um a little bit more and you know it doesn't have to be ozil or an ozil type i do i do think we've missed him um j- just because we haven't had that that kind of presence standing there between the defence and midfield. And, and, you know, the way um, Sheffield United line up as well in that kind of back three that collapses into a five, they're really good at blocking up the lanes on the edge of their own box. They don't do an awful lot of defending before that, like in their kind of final 20, like in it, sorry, like until the final 25 yards of the pitch, they just keep that string of five and they don't, they don't really engage that much before that um that that's been and then when when they get the ball they break and they push those wing backs up and sometimes they get those overlapping center halves and the midfielders collapse back and they they're very um you know Sheffield I you know, I've seen like teams like this described as like an accordion you know how it like it just goes in and out depending on the phase of play. Like it will spread out when they have the ball and when they don't, they just collapse back into shape and they're very good at it. And what we needed was someone to threaten that, to try and pull that apart a little bit. And I think I think that was Willock's role, um, basically, because we all know what Xhaka's gonna do. Um and and actually sometimes what you see as well is Xhaka just pushing off to the left a little bit, particularly when we put Saka very wide. Um, and you just kind of almost in that, that space that we, that Jacques has been playing a lot under Arteta, that kind of almost like an advanced left-sided centre-half. And, and and the thing is, and I, I think this is true of a lot of modern coaches, so I don't want to over-egg it too much and say this is because Arteta's revolutionary and wonderful. Um, but when, when we're talking about formations with Arteta, really, we're not talking about positions, we're talking about areas, I think. I think that's the difference now. Like Saka, for me... Because basically, whether you play him on the left wing, left wing back or left side of midfield, he's playing in the same areas, effectively, wherever you play him. It just depends what happens around him. Mm. Um, and what Arteta's clearly trying to do is to get players into zones where they're comfortable. And, and you know, Willock, whether he's a number 10 or not, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But... There, there's something there in what he does between the lines and the way he can kind of provoke and disrupt and and sometimes his technical quality isn't quite there. Although you know he had he had a, a couple of nice kind of technical interventions um, during the game. Really nice pass out to Tierney on the left, for example, um, uh, to to kind of uh, to create that that cut for Pepe. And so it, it was it was clear to me we needed someone like that. We were missing that piece, um, and whether Willock's the absolute elite talent to do that, I don't think he is yet. He may well become that. Um, but we we just we definitely needed someone to do that and And for Pepe as well, um you know Pepe because we, we don't want him doing that. We don't want him in kind of crowd scenes. like I almost looked at Willock's role a bit like an NFL blocker, mm. you know, like let me run into traffic. Let me take bodies with me, and and free up the space for you. Because you like you, you. There's a good chance you'll do something really good with it. So, uh, you know, I very much saw um, Willock almost in the role that Emery tried to play Ramsey in when he first arrived. That kind of that disruptive number ten. That kind of that blocker style. Uh, you know, I'll run. I'll take bodies with me. And even if I don't get the ball. Um, someone to my right or left will, and and that helped Pepe as well because that's the thing Pepe has been missing. Just just slightly, you know, to his left, um, you know, he hasn't really had the overlap to his right. I think Maitland-Niles was slightly better at doing that, and he but he didn't have that player to his right either without Özil there, and 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 Willock kind of gave him that. So I I feel like Willock play basically played a very sacrificial role, and that his role was less about him and what he could do for other key attackers in the team.
1: It's interesting to me and Willick that he can be so good running off the ball and without the ball when we're in possession and still so poor at switching on and running when possession turns over. And maybe we can come to that in the uh, um, mm, I
4: watched the game today yeah. mm-hmm. looking out for that. Mm-hmm. And I tell you now... I saw many occasions where he ran back and caught them up in the first half. Mm. So I, 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 I was definitely looking at it thinking, OK, let me look at a little was spotted here. And you have to think about his midfield. The way, with the five people high, what we were doing, we were rolling into midfield when we had possession, when we lost it. It was all about refilling. I call it refill the bucket. Empty space. How quickly can we sprint back and refill? And his role was to do that with Saka, with Maitland-Niles and with Pepe. So many more defensive actions from those three people. I've loved. I don't seen the data on this yet, but obviously we know Pepe's defensive actions were were stand out. But there was lots of them coming back, and I think it'd be interesting to look at the data on this game, particularly mm. see how it looks.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, we we can maybe debate it a little bit more uh, down the line. But I I think that what what Willock adds to this team is something that we need, right? That running power in midfield, the extra man coming, arriving into the box. Um, yeah. And I think w- where I get frustrated sometimes is just that the qualities that w- we need from him, for him to really be able to regularly run that area, better control the ball, better passing, um, you know, maybe just a little bit more defensive awareness. Who are you, who
4: are you comparing him to? Really?
3: Well, I mean, is it's Ramsey, I mean, it's, pass, it, it, but his yeah, basic passing is good. Um, I mean, look at his stats. He's right up there. Uh, What catches the eye sometimes is that final ball, which he was actually good at in this game. He lays off a couple of really nice passes, but he does not always do that. He He can take you the length of the field in the blink of an eye and nobody's catching him. He's pulling away from them and then like thud the ball to whoever, to Aubameyang or to Pepe can be. Off or a little bit behind or just not the right ball. I don't know how much that will improve over time. But if you look at his his short passing, which is what you need in midfield, um, is uh, what, probably one of our, top three, top four for very short passes. His middle and long passes are like average. So I think his actual passing game is okay. He's tidy enough most of the time. It's, it's that... You'd lay off to Aubameyang or Pepe that he's been lacking as he goes into the final third
4: for me.
1: Yeah, that's definitely on. not there yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: You know, what he's got to improve on when he when he skins people, he's on, he's at a million miles an hour he's gone. Uh, and he's gone. Pull it out of a gun. Right. They call this. And You heard me say it's for fire and ice. He's like fire. When he need, What he needs to learn is to calm down when he's at top speed so he can play that eight-yard pass because he's broken through. Everyone's now scattered, dead bodies everywhere. You've got to play an eight-yard pass between the gap. Can you do it? Can you slow down enough to get that right? Once he gets that right, he's going to be a player. It's just that composure once he's done all the, the firework, the busy work, the things that are unique to him. There must be more productivity at the end of it. And Elliot's right to point that out but we have to remember the skill sets that he's got to take on a half turn and drive. Not everyone has got that to do that consistently and to do it so well. So the final piece, I don't think is difficult. It's a really simple coaching thing. It's just calming down a heart rate when you need to make that final pass to make it more efficient.
1: And you know what? I think that's, that's where people far uh, more intelligent about football than I, and paid a lot more than I am need to figure things out because there are physical attributes to his game that are things we lack and, and things we need and that he provides and that we don't really have uh, an analog for in the squad. Whether those technical capabilities can be developed later in your career, I mean, I, I know, Clive, you're saying those things can be taught. And, and I, It's not that I dispute it, it's that I don't think it is clear. I mean, you, you look at someone like Alex awobe for example, um, and the reason Iwobi is not at Arsenal anymore and, and really isn't going to have a first-rate Career most likely is because when he gets into danger areas which he's quite good at doing he never really was able to put it together whether it was pass or shot so i, I mean I i'll give this to willock i think willock looks like someone who has goals in him and and will score goals for us if he plays more because he, he seems very composed with his finishing in the box um so we'll just have to see if that if that final distribution can be there paul i, I want to Wind it back a little bit, though, because I know that you wanted to make a point about not playing Aubameyang on the wing and what that adds for us. Because, candidly, I did not think this was a a great Lacazette game. I mean, I think there were some things he did well, but not striker things predominantly. But without having Aubameyang on the wing and and really that space being occupied more by Tierney and then Saka drifting over there, it was a different dynamic. So how do you think that changes the pattern of play for us?
3: Yeah, I couldn't get away from the feeling that it, it was a weird feeling to have that I was glad Aubameyang wasn't on the wing. Um, and the first thought was because it allowed Saka to play there, and I really liked in particular what he did. Um, it gave him kind of a free role where he drifted between wide to central to sit between the lines. He didn't have a defined role unless we were totally out of possession, whereas normally if Aubameyang's on, on the left there, then... If Saka's on the pitch, he's got a very fairly defined role. He'll be behind him as a, a wing back, full fullback, or given some other significant job to feed Aubameyang. So, like, I had this weird feeling of, I'm glad Aubameyang isn't playing, because I was just loving everything Saka was doing there. And it's kind of one or the other at the moment. And then you think, well, hang on. If you had uh, Tierney, I mean, hasn't Tierney come on in leaps and bounds if he can keep this up, if he can stay fit? I mean, he's just, he's a real force. He's, he's a fullback that you could see fitting into the Liverpool setup when uh, if he can maintain this build on it and grow. So now you're looking at, you know, if you move Aubameyang to centre-forward, which I know will please some people around here, and you had uh, Tierney and Saka on that wing, with Saka drifting basically into midfield to be kind of like a 10 between the lines uh, when 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 it's on, when he feels like it, hovering around, creating that extra player there and, and creating mischief uh, in and around Aubameyang with Pepe on the other side. What a delicious front three that would be. Now, it would require some tweaks with a, a midfield because you can't do that all with just uh, Chaka and Willark or Chaka and one other behind them. You probably need a solid midfield three there too um, to support that but Tierney, Saka, Aubameyang and Pepe along the, the left side and along the top, um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk Maitland-Niles, but Maitland-Niles or a fully fit Bellerin bombing up the other side, then we'd start seeing Arsenal playing in a way that excites us all. And, you know, to, to give... Gazette is due. I mean, he does a lot of hard work, and he's dropping into midfield, and uh, I think he contributed to the good parts of his overall performance. But but it's just not enough. The the our way of playing Lacazette through the middle, much as I I feel um, he maybe doesn't get his due for the work he does, it's it's just not br- bringing us the football that that we should really be thrilling about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, well, Tim, I mean. Arteta ha, ha, was sort of fulsome in his praise for Pepe and claims that it has clicked for him since Project Restart. Mm. And I I am really, I struggle with the analysis of Pepe because I've never watched him and thought he's not a good player. I've, I've and maybe this is making excuses for him, but I've always felt that our system or the players that he's been put alongside, you know, the, on the right flank with have not suited him particularly well. So, I mean, where do you think this click is happening? Do you see a profound difference in the way Pepe is playing or do you see that maybe, you know, in this game in particular and and over the last couple of games that the way we're playing is allowing him to to get into positions where he can be more impactful?
2: So honestly, I don't see the click yet. Yeah. Um I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say click. I understand why Mikel Arteta is saying that because he's trying to build the player up. Um and and he was definitely, to quote Andy Townsend, better in this game and it's definitely true that the system around him helped um you know having maitland niles is more of an overlap and maybe we can have a conversation about whether maitland niles was given different instructions um to bellerin whether bellerin's being managed or whether bellerin is just not capable of doing that physically at the moment um, but that helped having Willock closer to him helped the the other thing that helped really. And, and I think that this is the big conundrum of Arsenal's attack for Arteta is that Aubameyang wasn't there. And the reason I think Pepe plays so wide is because usually the other winger is Aubameyang and you definitely don't want him on the touchline. So, you know, in Arteta's system, the way he sees it nominally, his two wingers, one's going to come inside and one's going to stay out. Well, you know, as, as good as Pepe is, it's still a Bamiang <laughs> that you mm. want inside. Um, and, and the problem or the issue to solve for Arteta really is that three of Arsenal's best attackers, uh, Martinelli, Bamiang and Pepe, all want to play as an inside forward nominally. Whether it's Bamiang playing through the centre, but coming into like that's the area Bamiang wants to play in. Whether you play him wide or centre forward, he wants to break into that little channel kind of Henri style um, and, and so does Martinelli. And that's where Pepe wants the ball as well. And at the moment in our Teta system, we've only ever found a way to accommodate one of them at any one time without a Bamiang there. That was Pepe. And I, and I tweeted, I think, during the first half, I said, I feel like we've transitioned from waiting for Abamyang to do something to waiting for Pepe to do something. Mm. Um, and that was before we scored the goal. And to be fair, once we went 1-0 up, I think there was a bit more fluency um, in our play. And, and that kind of helped. But on, on Pepe individually... Yes, he was better for all the reasons that we've talked about. We got him into better areas, but I still didn't feel the click as such. And th- this is a player, to me, my estimation of, of his talent and his capability is sky high. He can do things that other players, not just in our team, but in a lot of teams, can't do. He really, really can. I think for pure talent, he is up there with, with. you could put him against any inside forward or wide forward um in in the premier league at the moment um maybe not Mane and salah I i think he's probably got a way to go but even Mane and salah like i'm not sure it's just talent with those two they're just in a super optimal system pepe pepe can do like he can create magic he really really can and actually his his end product numbers are good considering Yeah, yeah they are. And, and that's the thing. And and the reason we're still a bit underwhelmed is because we know he can do more. And Arteta's said this about him being more consistent or him being more decisive on, on like um on a more regular basis. And he's come out of this game with a goal and an assist. Now let's be honest. The goal was a penalty, which you still have to put away. I felt absolute confidence when he stepped up. I thought he's not missing this. Um, because he's a technically superb player the technique was great too yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and he got an assist and to be honest it was a bit of a fortunate assist because he kind of lost the ball um, but it, you still look at him and you just think wow I, I want I, like I want to see that more like maybe two three minutes in a game you look at him and think wow he's he's just got them on toast there's nothing they can do but but you think but I want more somehow. Do you know what mm, I mean? And, yeah. and 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 I guess, look, uh, to to kind of sum up the we got him into better positions, um, you know, in the last minute counter-attack, we've got, and, and Alex Scott did a great piece in this on uh, MOTD on Match of the Day 2, actually, on Sunday evening. You know, the benefit of having good, um, quick, young players in the final minute of a game because it's Saka that charges away and he's got Enketia up with him and then Pepe gets the ball in the area because Saka Saka and Enketia have had the legs to get the ball to him there. And what's happened too often when Arsenal counter in the last year, two years, or whatever, or or in the time Pepe's been here, Pepe gets the ball on the halfway line and he's got three players to beat, or he's got to beat someone before he gets anywhere. On this occasion, young legs, you know, Saka's does a 360 and switches away from someone. And Ketty is there up with him, plays the pass. And now Pepe's got the ball in the final 10 yards of the pitch. And the fact that he doesn't quite beat his man doesn't really matter because he's in the area and something happens whereas what happens too often is he doesn't beat that man and he's 30 yards from goal you know and that Sheffield United defenders just taking the ball away and he's in a lovely comfortable area so when you've got players like like that you know the fact that Pepe tries to take the man on and it doesn't quite work it's still got some nuisance factor to it and those are the areas we have to get him in more often but I also think that the player has more work to do. He has to do it more. And, you know, expectations of him are higher because of the transfer fee, but not just because of the transfer fee because we all see what we've got there and we all understand that even a goal and an assist, a game, isn't going to get you completely out of jail because we know you can do more. We know you can. And, and, and I think that... That That's my sense of what Arteta's saying to him. I think he'll be saying to him, great, you made the difference today, but you know what? It could have been 3 or 4-1.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? Look, if I was Arteta, um, first of all, I'd have fantastic hair and I'd be very wealthy. But like, in addition to those great things, I would be looking at, at Pepe and saying, look, I only have so many elite players in this squad. This is a squad that is lacking talent. I have... Saka, who looks like he might be an elite talent, he's certainly right on the brink if he isn't already. yang Pepe, I mean, maybe maybe that's it. Um, I'd be trying Pepe anywhere to get him going. I'd try him at nine in some games. You know, I'd, I'd let him, I'd let him play like a Thierry Henry striker. I'd, I'd start him in a two and and let him feed off of a, a you know another striker. Maybe it is yang I mean, I I do think he has the final ball to deliver, but I would. Be trying to get him into more dangerous positions near the box, in the box, because what he does once he gets to those areas is almost universally good. And, Clive, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe Maitland Niles' presence in this game helped unlock him because bellerin has been struggling. Maybe the fact that Kolasinac was on the left side of the three and and that's obviously going to hamper our build up a little bit meant that things wound up going to the right a little more often than than they than they do in other cases. I mean, do you have a, a sense on? What's working for Pepe and, and what could potentially work even better?
4: Well, firstly, I, I agree with Tim's point about his talent. I think his talent is, is right there. Absolutely top, top, top. Um, in this game, there was a moment in the first first few minutes of the game, ball goes into Willock. He does a no-touch turn. Little Croy flick around, gives it to Pepe's feet. Pepe puts it on his studs, rolls it forward, rolls it back, right in front of the Sheffield United defender. Looks at him straight in the eye stepped inside, swept it out to the left-hand side. That's like minute one. I'm like going, wow, this is it. What he's saying to that player is, hey, mate, I'm here today. Do you fancy it? Well, you can't get me. I'm off. You often hear me talk about the competitive edge in the game, the psychological edge in the game. That was Pepe announcing himself in the game in in minute one. I think for me, it's uh, why Arteta was really excited was he played inside, but he didn't play inside at the cost of the team. I think sometimes he's played on the outside because if he loses it there, we can recover the danger. If you lose it on the inside, you're into the heart of our team. And so Arteta kept talking about his defensive actions because we could all see in this game, he worked back a lot. He cleared things a lot. He supported the right wing back a lot. He really worked in this game both ways. And that means he can be trusted inside, which means you're starting to unlock him. Because if you can work him inside and out, what happens is with him, I, I don't think it's a technical issue. I think it's a psychological issue. He, he's a shy boy. He's a quiet boy. There are rumors that he's very detached within the club. Nice lad.
0: Mm.
4: Not really, not really, Uh, you know, people not sure where he goes after training. He's just a nice, quiet lad. Um, and so for me... Players like that, you've got to make them feel part of it. You've got to give them the ball as much as possible. You know, I've been ranting about this for ages. Touches, just let him have touches. And the interesting thing in this game, when he, he got more touches, because of the people around him, I think Maitland-Niles has, a, has always been a good partner for him, consistently. And he just wants to give him the ball, and, and he can get it back. He can do more things with it. Willock was around him, and I think he felt part of something, and psychologically, he just joined in. And so that, to me, was the click. If you can trust him inside defensively, he's going he's gonna to get the ball more offensively. You can't be inside in the Urzel type channel, lose the ball and not run back. It's just not possible. Um, I, I didn't want the Urzel inside of him in, you know, when Ozil was playing inside of him because I feel he doesn't give him the ball in the right way. And he forced him to receive the ball in only one way, in between lines. You know, running, sprinting mm-hmm. after the ball in channels so I just think we need to give him the creative responsibility as well as the offensive responsibility to score give him as much responsibility as possible find out what he is because he's the future of our club offensively it's as simple as that we've got two other guys there uh, 129 and 131 they're not really making noises they want to stay in the club I'm not sure what they want to do particularly with Lacazette a Bamian, if I'm a Bamiang, I'm looking at this group and thinking, there's something happening here. I should stay. I should stay to help these guys along. Is he prepared to do that for one, two years, or does he want to go up into Milan and 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 run around over there against people that are slower than him? It, it's up to him.
1: That sounds nice. Um, but,
4: but, <laughs> and he can do that. He can make his money and he can shop in Milan, all the rest of it, and have fun. But there's something developing offensive here at Arsenal with Saka you know, with with Pepe and himself, with Eddie coming in behind him to support him. There's a midfield rebuild happening. There's a defensive rebuild happening. If I'm a Bamian, and if I'm Arteta, I'm thinking, if I can have a here and give me 25 goals while I'm betting this all down, that's my insurance policy. And a has got me thinking. If I can help these guys, I can still get my goal. I can still, I can be more competitive, but I need the club to support me with more stability at the back of the midfield. I think it's a crucial moment for him. It's a crucial moment for our, our team development because we've got some offensive talent that's developing by the minute. And we spoke about Eddie and Lacazette, and I think we all saw in this game, Eddie just, just overtake him. Just went past him, and we all felt better when he was on. And that's how quickly it can happen with, with younger players. There's a moment, there's a click moment. I think it's happening for us right now. We just got to stay patient.
1: Yeah. Uh, Paul, do you want to weigh in on this just a little bit before we move off? I mean, this is a, a long segment on Pepe, so I don't want to drag it out. But in terms of accessing that flank more and, and involving him more in the build-up, do you have a, a final thought on that?
3: Yeah, I still think, ironically, it's Saka coming in from the left that really frees this sucker up because he, he there was kind of a V with Chaka deep Willock uh, generally to the right of him over by Pepe and not like uh, with Sabias against Southampton if I'm remembering that right one of the knocks against Sabias was he, he may have been on that side but he was kind of staying home with Chaka maybe that's something to do with the opposition Southampton were a much more pressing team dominating the center but um, Willock was able to get right up next to Pepe and past Pepe, and Maitland-Niles coming on the outside of him. All sorts of options there, but Saka coming into midfield uh, and creating that V with Chaka and Willock, I just felt helped us move a, a real attacking aspect across through the middle and into the right. That was maybe left dominant in previous games, and the problem. I think it is a problem. The problem with Yang on the left, and I'm starting to like it less and less, is it's constricting us in oh so many ways to support him. And this this game just kind of freed us up. We didn't have to worry about feeding Yang about the fact that he has he's he's brilliant, but he has limitations from the left. And and we in the same way we've we've to accommodate Chaka, we're now accommodating Chaka plus Yang. And it's just too much shit. And and this opened up the game, allowed Saka to come into midfield, make connections, and we could push the play across the middle and over to the right up through Pepe. And, uh, you know, he, he, to me, he carried himself differently in this game. He looked – he was kind of the man without a Aubameyang there. And he just – not that he got all the service, service, but he really seemed to carry himself with a little bit more swagger and the other thing that should be mentioned is the defensive work. We mentioned it a little bit. The defensive work he did with Maitland-Niles, I mean, he's really mucking in there. He seems to have got gotten the memo, understands the role more, and he's growing. So been let, really enjoying that aspect of it.
1: Let me ask you a question, Paul. I mean, as you start to look at the system that Arteta wants, I mean, the one thing that seems clear, even if he's not going to play a back three, he's going to set it up kind of like a back three in the first phase of buildup, right? Because when we were going yeah. 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, Shaka was dropping in, right? Yeah. Making that sort of third defender. And then you had the the fullbacks bombing forward and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I, I think even if it doesn't continue to be a back three, I think the system will continue to operate this way, which makes me wonder, do you see, this is kind of out in left field because it's not related to this game, but do you see a role for Torreira the way we are building play, at least right now. I mean, that's not to say that he won't change it, but I look at the system that Arteta has put in place and I don't I don't see a clear role for a sort of specialist shield the back for DM type player. And while I like Torreira and I think he's very good, statistically his progressive passing has been the weakness to his game. Now there are people that think he's better at it than the stats bear out, so that that's an open debate, but... I think he's a player that I really like and when he's been given the role that suits him I think he's been very impressive but do you, do you see where he would naturally come in and, and fill a role the way Arteta has been setting us up?
3: Not really. Um and I mean I I think somebody more of the Willock profile of the Ramsey profile. I don't know if Chaka's got enough game though. Like if you have De Bruyne and Silva ahead of Chaka, I don't think Chaka's got enough game. To cover that midfield in the same way a Fernandinho would have. Uh, Not many can. Rodri is a really good player, but maybe not the same athleticism as a Fernandinho. I mean, Chaka has his limitations. So uh, uh, you raise good points on Torreira not not being the perfect partner for Chaka, but then just the limit. There's so many things that need to be fixed in this midfield that there's some big decisions to be made. Um, you know, our, uh, Chaka's seen in a much more positive light and we're, we're focusing on his strengths much more than than we got to do in the past. And he's set up to play up the field. It was very interesting, though, we went back to that suicide passing out from the, the goalkeeper in the second half. Like mm. three times they pinged it to Chaka when he people. He, I thought we'd given up on that. Was, that was like... Uh, that was a refresher, and, and, and there were a couple of times as well with Chaka on his own in midfield. He got himself in a tangle, lost the ball, and we weren't punished for it. I think it was at least twice. So you you were reminded that Chaka has his limitations, and, and there's only so many ways Arteta can play through him. So there's decision, decisions on Torreira, but even still, you know, Chaka. Is that is that how we go into the next season? I mean, I've I've been something of a defender of his um because i i thought he was better than we than we sometimes felt he was in the low times but still he he has a ceiling and um can do we have the budget to change that all around this this next season but i don't see Chaka and Torreira as being the answer for yeah. for any the, of the questions we're looking at
1: the midfield's ripe for a rebuild period and i think yeah. that's why when we come to the Ganduzi debate in just a minute here i i think it is a little disheartening only because I think we could move on from Shaka. I think Torreira, as much as I like the player, maybe just wrong guy at the wrong time at the club in our development. Um, you know, certainly Ceballos, I, I don't think will stay, although he gets the winner against Sheffield United, obviously. So then you look at like a Ganduzi and you say, well, he's a young player with a high ceiling. He could be part of the rebuild, but now maybe he's off. So a lot of work to Ozel, you know, another season of him being sick or having a back injury or whatever the case may be, you know, not being in the squad. It's, it's tough. It's tough to see where the rebuild starts when the maybe, arguably, like the the biggest potential young player is is one who looks headed for the exit door. T- Tim, if you had to pick sort of a loser from this game, um, other than Sheffield United who lost and we won, haha. Um, it, it might be Lacazette, right? I mean, he gets the start, we win the game, and everything's fine. And yet, you come away thinking, Enkedia looked better, I think, in his short period on the pitch. The goal comes from Enkedia running hard at the back line, collecting the ball, and then really beautifully delivering it to Pepe in the box for Ceballos to then run onto it and score. I I just don't I don't see Lacazette having had the impact in this game that leads to him continuing to get starts. So is, is it, is he the one that you come away from this game saying it, it didn't happen for him in a position where it really needed to?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm, um, you know, like... Uh, like I've said before, I'm not I'm not sure whether Nketiah is, you know, quote unquote the answer. I think if he can be a good backup striker, I think that'd be a fantastic result for us in the squad. And and that's why I support the continued playing of Eddie Nketiah, because at the moment, um I, I'd say like overall, Lacazette is at this stage, you know, at this obviously at this respective stage of their careers, Lacazette is a better player, um, but his form's in the toilet um and Nketiah's form is quite good. Um, I I don't honestly think there's like an enormous gulf, even given those two, well, not facts, but subjective opinions. Um, But at the moment, there's a lot more value in seeing what Nketiah can do than Lacazette, because I don't think we should be giving Lacazette a new contract. Um, I think we should be looking at moving him on. Um, Whereas in Ketia, you know, you look at and you think, well, like one of the best things we can do with this period of games is see what some of these young players can do and see who can at the very least do jobs in the squad. So Willock, we're having a lot of debate about Willock, right? A lot of upside, some downside. But that's great. Let's find that out. Let's find out if Joe Willock can be, you know, it doesn't have to be starting every week let's find out if he can be a good like a a really good reliable squad player he's got like four years of contract left let's invest in that let's look um you know and and i I guess i'd almost rather play him than urzil at the moment because again we know what we've got with urzil we know he's going next year um you know let's invest in willock let's see what he can do let's see what anketiah can do and and this is probably particularly in terms of the league Um, the lowest stakes football that Arsenal are, fingers crossed, likely to play for a long time. So it's not without stakes, but it's low stakes by our standards. We're usually really fighting for something at this point of the season. And at the moment, we, you know, there's an economic imperative to get into Europe. And as we said in a previous pod, it's good to get those young players minutes in the Europa League as well. It has some value there, but it's not, it's not like life it it doesn't it doesn't keep you awake at night you know mm. um so i i'm very much on starting ketter start the shit out of Nketiah. start him in every game and let's make it, well we don't have to make a definitive judgement at the end of the season but let's see where we are you know give him like 10 11 games um in this period and let let's see where we go and 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 i think that's what arteta's doing but i also think that you know Inketia gives us something that that Arteta likes that Lacazette doesn't give us. And perhaps you see it in that last minute goal um, at the moment, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, Lacazette looks leaden footed um, to me. And and look, to be fair to him, he wins the penalty. And I mean, I mean that in the true sense of the word, he wins that with his kind of experience. A Sheffield United player gives him a gift. He takes it. He makes sure he gets it. And that's, that's good experience, professional play. Um, you know, to, to make sure that the ref sees that ankle tap and to get the maximum from that. That's that, that's good play. And I, and I don't mean that patronisingly. Like, he, he got us a goal um, with that. But, you know, when you look at that goal in the last minute and you see Saka doing a 360 and sprinting away from their midfield and you see Nketiah pulling off into that channel and sprinting away and, and playing that pass to Pepe. and And I just think... I don't know. I think if Saka plays that pass to Lacazette at the moment, it maybe gets stuck under his feet mm. and he has to sort it out. And maybe it takes him an absolute age to move the ball forward. And to, do you know what I mean? Like, again, yeah, I, I don't know if it's physical or mental, but there's just something in my brain. I try and imagine Lacazette in that move. Um, and I'm not saying what inketia did was, was world-class. There's loads of space there. The Pepe pass was obvious. Um, if he'd done anything else, it would have been a travesty. But I, I don't know. Maybe this is a, a bias and it's a hypothetical situation. But to me, I, I, the pictures in my head of Lacazette at the moment or the this season version of Lacazette is that that ball gets stuck or perhaps he doesn't move or perhaps he moves towards the ball rather than away from the ball. And, and that perhaps that counter doesn't come off. And I don't see Lacazette getting that goal against Southampton you know and and that's you know Lacazette does close down goalkeepers but if you watch him at the moment it it's very um it's a gesture yeah. Um, to me mm-hmm. and and I'm not I'm not like faulting his commitment per se it may be psychological it no may but be it's, physical, it's not like the way Enkedia did it by the way to win it's to waving Ripley. a leg isn't yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah. and and there's one against Brighton which to, yeah to be fair against Brighton he really tries to close the Brighton goalkeeper down gets himself booked for the ankle tap and that's kind of fine but do you know what I mean like they're just they just doesn't look like for one reason or another um, and I don't think for Arsenal's purposes it really matters, whether it's psychological or physical, because it just it doesn't look like it's there at the moment. And um, and, and the last thing I'd say about Lacazette, though, is as, as much as things are bad for him at the moment, I, I think this does have a consequence for Arsenal as well, because, um, you know, Clive, you usually use the kind of phrase about managing players' careers. Lacazette's been at Arsenal for three years. I I bet he regrets it. I bet he regrets signing Mm. for Arsenal because he'll look at where his career is now, age 29. He's nowhere near the French team. He's nowhere nearer the French squad than he was when he joined. And now he's not even in the Arsenal team. And whether, whether that's Arsenal's fault or his fault, For the rest of the world, looking on, we signed a £50 million striker at the age of 25, 26, who, you know, looked fairly primed for the step up. And don't get me wrong, I guess a lot of teams looked at him and and didn't fancy it, but Atletico Madrid fancied it. And I bet if you asked Lacazette in a private moment with the assurance that the conversation wouldn't travel, I bet you'd prefer to have gone to Atletico Madrid. I bet he'd say, yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, mm,
1: yeah, and I think as we as we learn more about Arteta and watch the team play more under Arteta, I do think two things are happening. The players that can be really integral parts of this team becoming what it needs to be start to stand out, Saka being an obvious one, and the players who aren't going to get us where we need to go start to stand out. And and I'm not speaking of young players in that respect. I'm speaking more of the senior players, and I, I think Lacazette is clearly in that category. I think Shaq is in that category personally, Not not to kill him, but... And it's funny right because we only win when he plays and we only lose when he doesn't but you see the limitations of what we can do in the center of the park when he's playing and I think another obvious one just to really quickly mention it is Kolasinac I think whatever his Arsenal career was meant to be it hasn't been and and it's not going to be um he's probably a guy who's best to be a wing back for a team that maybe counterattacks and he can bomb on and put in crosses but Tim you covered this extensively in the Patreon pod. His superpower is a shoulder charge. Like he he doesn't have a pass. He's not defensively sound. I, even though he's a big body, he doesn't really work filling in as as a as a spare cent, central defender in the way that someone like Nacho Monreal could. It just hasn't worked out. He's on huge wages and I think he's one of those players Arsenal have to be doing everything they can, moving heaven and earth to move on from him. Um Cedric apparently can play left back and right back. So he can certainly back up Tierney. Whether he takes the right back spot to be his own as a starter remains to be seen, but I think that's plenty of depth there, and you, you can't have a guy on you know, top 10 fullback wages in the world backing up your left back and a guy that you don't feel comfortable using. So I want to move on, but Clive, do you, did you have another thought on Klosie Natch, or is that plenty for him?
4: Oh, well, basically we have a player that's worse the closer he is to his own goal. Mm, yeah. He's better the further he is away from his goal, and... We bought a wing back and now we're using him as left centre half. He is a dead body on set pieces. He's literally watching it. He might as well be sitting next to me. So that's a problem when we're using him as a third centre half. He's what it is. If Pablo Mari was fit, he'd be in a track suit, Let's be honest. So um, he's doing a job at the moment before he goes out the door in the summer. And um, yeah. great points from Timon Lacazette, by the way. I think he would much prefer to play with Griezmann in the front two. His best time, I answer, has been in the front two with the Bamiang next to him. That's when he flourishes. I always say this, the first time I saw him, Emirates Cup, He played behind another striker. He was never a lone centre forward. And that's what I mean by mismanaging people's careers. Know the player you're buying. Have a system for that player to thrive. Don't throw him out there. Five foot nine against three centre backs and ask him to win it in the air. He just got smashed around, nicked a penalty. This is what it is for him. He's much better in the two if he's more emotionally together. And um, he feels comfortable. His movement's better. As a lone centre forward, he's limited. Although I thought he worked really hard in this game, and um, did his absolute best. But he just, yep. um, I think, I think we've moved on in our minds, and our eyes are telling us what's wrong.
1: Mm. And I, Paul, did you have a thought there? Or no, what,
3: I, uh, I do feel bad because the guy. I mean, he's putting it all out there, but it's just, it's not enough. That's that's the can, travesty of can it. I say he's something dropping about that? in, he's connecting dots. Yeah. Just just real quick, cause you said something that really resonates with
1: me. I mm-hmm. think we tend to have a lot of patience for and try to see the best of players that we feel are honest professionals trying their best. Mm-hmm. Shaka, Lacazette, right? To recognize that they're not the level we need is not being cruel, right? This is a <laughs> football's cruel, period, right? It, it is yeah. you can respect the professionalism of the player and still not think they're good enough is all I was yeah. sort of hoping to point
3: out there. And not good enough for us in our system. I mean, <clears throat> you know, Clive makes a great point. This ha, Having him banging up against two or three centre-backs in the Premier League while we play up the wings is not doing this fella any favours. Play him in a system uh, with the two, and we have seen him doing that, where he's looked much more... You can see he loves playing with Aubameyang when Aubameyang can get into the middle, but we don't play through the middle often enough for the like the Southampton game I think it is where there's a couple of those back heels and they just start sparking off each other but it's not how we play. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, ca- I mean ca- should we move off this game? I mean do we have do we have any final thoughts that we haven't really picked out yet because I think it would be good to just touch on the Ganduzi thing before we move on. I I think we kind of covered it, right? Uh, well, how about this just real quick Clive the the, the, win- the winner at the end. I mean um Ceballos comes on he gets the winner. I'm not sure. <laughs> there there's much that he can do there other than score. And I think the keeper doesn't do himself any favors, but one, one thing that I, I do actually want to touch on real quick. Now that it comes to my mind, I have my notes back in front of me, set pieces, you know, Pep <laughs> oh, is not, don't. Pep Pep is not good at set pieces. If, they, if you'd have to say there's a flaw in Pep and city, it's that they've, they've not been a particularly good set piece team. You contrast that with someone like Liverpool that has all kinds of like n- nerds with slide rules who work on like throw-ins and corners and all that. Uh, city have not been great when it comes to set pieces. I think that has carried forward a little bit. I think set pieces are a weakness for us. We struggled to defend them a bit. I think we we wrote our luck a little on them, and I thought some of the set pieces we took again were disappointing. So, do do you think that that's an area you know where we can make marginal gains? Something that we really need to refocus on, or or are you less worried about it?
4: Yeah, both, in, on both sides of the ball, I think we could. I think um, we got Pepe's a great dead ball taker, but let's talk about it defensively, should we? I mean, let's talk about jumping under headers, and let's talk about simple things off a long throw. When you have a defender in front, a defender behind, what do we do? Two in front, ball goes over, flick on, back post, and unlucky, you're lucky to get away with it. We just... We just Positives in them where we where we can. Um, you know, Holding had a good game at Southampton, mostly could have in the air. His movement's not great. He doesn't he's not able to track people. Kalashnik well, you know what, he's literally picking up a wage at the moment. He's just not to the quality that we need. And we just don't do the basics very well. You know, we don't we're not very competitive, we're not very big. We're not a big side, you know. So we we got you know, that was our weakness and they literally dropped the balls in our head. So, um, it's one of those things I'm, I'm I'm less worried about. I'd rather sort of, you know, I would, what we're starting to see, I rather focus on the positives. I've always started to see is, um, and Paul was really almost saying it out loud, we talk about systems a lot, but really what we're seeing is a lot of, I've said it before, a lot of flexibility, a lot of interchanging, a lot of movement. And I think we're going to talk about this for a long, long time. Players that can do more than one thing and be happy in different zones on the pitch and don't let you down. Now, Kevin De Bruyne is a fantastic player, but look how hard he works defensively. Look how he presses. Look how he moves. Look how he recovers, travels. We need these players. We need players that are comfortable doing that, and that's why Arteta's getting excited because he can see that's developing. I thought some of our defensive pressing in the first half was really, really good. We outran, outworked, outpressed the team until they had to go long ball because they couldn't deal with us in the middle of the pitch. I think it's really important that we take these positives out of this game because this is the start of something new and these are the sort of things that we've moaned about. The lack of athleticism, the lack of connectivity, the lack of transition, the lack of people getting bodies around each other. This This is good stuff, mate. If we can just hold on to this and and add the pieces we need to do more co- on a more consistent basis to allow us to be more competitive against the better sides.
1: Yeah. Um I you know, I think that the the issue we run into is also just that there's been so little continuity of of training and preparation under Arteta that it's hard to really know on set pieces how much of it is him not getting it right and him not having a chance to work with it. Because I think set piece defending and set piece routines are really, really training ground stuff that that's the stuff you can really improve in training. And you think about it, he came in around Christmas when there's no time to train anything. Um, then had a little bit of a two week break in Dubai to, to work on stuff before the pandemic shut down football and can train with anybody again. And now you've got a situation where the games are coming so frequently that hell, even as a poor podcaster, I can't remember which game I'm supposed to be talking about. So yeah, it's, it's not an easy time to be working on the finer points of something like set-piece defending... And I, Yeah, go ahead, Tim.
2: I, I was going to say, I think um, I think there's a couple of things we should consider here as well. I, again, Alex Scott did a really good piece on this on Match of the Day, the Day 2 in the UK on Sunday. She spoke about... Um, you know and and i think a lot of this is is just some of the defenders we have but like the personnel has changed a lot in that back four game to game but what she was talking about was when you watch how we defended a lot of set pieces against sheffield united everyone was rushing towards the ball um even when they couldn't get it they're just rushing towards the ball and it's because there's well in in her words she was saying like there's there's a lack of trust there Um, And there's a lack of voices and a lack of leadership. There's no one saying, don't worry about it, leave it, it's mine. There's no like my ball there. It's just everyone's rushing towards the ball and no one's quite, you know, when holding goes for that header and misses it. It's because he's not confident that and I, I'm not absolving him because that's a bad mistake, but it's because he's not confident that there's a guy behind him who's going to clear it. He doesn't have a shout. There's no name on it. He jumps. He can't get it. And we saw that with the disallowed goal as well in the first half. Mustafi and Louise both go for it at the same time when really one should stand and hold their position. You know, one, like... The way a lot of teams defend as well is, you know, they'll have like, they might have two men on someone who's an aerial threat in the area. Someone like McBurney. One to pin, one to jump. One um, in front, one behind. Does yeah, it? yeah. You see people do it to Giroud all the time. One one riding his shoulders, pinning him down, one jumping, contesting the ball. And, and what there is back there, I think, is just a lack of trust. It's just everyone goes into emergency mode straight away because they're not confident and there isn't a name on the ball. And I think that's what we saw a couple of times. Mm. And while see, while he, Emi
3: Martinez has done well, he's new. So when he, didn't he comes come out or when did he, he doesn't... Paul.
4: He didn't yeah. come out as much as I thought he could have done. He didn't no. lead, he didn't talk. And you can see why Louise has got his contract. Honestly, you can because without without that, we'd, we're just silent. No, we need that at the moment. That in our stage of development, we need that leadership. Otherwise we're gonna we're gonna fold. And can
1: I say one thing about Mustafi just real quick? Like so I I don't think Mustafi is the future and I think he will be gone and and he needs to be and and I'm not saying he's he's a great defender, but you know what I noticed? It was the first twenty minutes of the game and there were two situations where he was kinda out on an island, sort of out wide with players running at him, and he stayed on his feet and he just now he backtracks way too much, sure. But he stayed up, he stayed up, he stayed up, and the help finally arrived. The single biggest difference I see in Mustafi under Arteta is he doesn't dive in and go to ground the minute yeah. the minute there's there's a confrontation. And what used to drive me freaking crazy, and it's why I used the word coward with him, and I know a lot of people took issue with that, but it's because the cowardice of just kind of diving in at the first instinct when there was no chance to get it and then abandoning your teammates and leaving them to fix the mess. Like it just felt like a very cowardly way to defend. And now he stays on his feet and that's all it's taken because there are other players on the pitch who can run back and support you. And so I, I think that's been a big improvement in his game and, and one that that I think is is good to see Paul real quick.
3: I just want to say one thing about Mustafi, not to relitigate the Mustafi wars, but I can see why I mean, he's, he's been the one constant defensively for... We, we thought Arteta was doing him a favor by kind of rehabilitating him a bit. I mean, he's become his stalwart there. And, you know, there are weaknesses to his game still. Um, but he's so proactive. I mean, he wins an ungodly number of headers for a short guy or for any guy. He's it, 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 like in the six-yard box against balls coming in. He's, he's a bit too short. He's never going to be brilliant in the penalty box, but defending our our, uh, our our back line as the ball's popping around in midfield, or somebody pops a ball uh, kind of almost over the top, Mustafi wins it every time. He intercepts. He gets. A, he has a bit of the Kachalny. He's getting ahead of his man. There's a part of his game that he's actually really good at, and sets Arteta up for the way he wants to play more proactively. That doesn't mean. I'm saying Mustafi is a player beyond reproach. Uh, We all have our issues with him, some more than others. But there is an aspect to Mustafi's game in particular that I suspect Arteta loves.
1: Well, I think it's just a point that, like, with certain players, there's a flaw in their game that if you can coach it out of them, makes them usable. Mustafi's never going to be a great center back for us, and he does need to go on. But, like, simply coaching, uh, maybe it's coaching, maybe Mustafi just decided, but simply removing that tick of needing to go to ground at the first opportunity, yeah. thereby totally uh, um, abandoning your responsibility to be able to defend the situation. I mean, it has made a difference. Tim, all right, so I, I don't want to take more than five minutes or so on this topic, but the Ganduzi thing is is an issue. We have to touch on it. He's not in the team again. You know, has come out and said if he wants to be on the boat, he's welcome to be, but the news is that we are open to selling him. There's two layers to this. Layer one is... Gennduzi portrayed as sort of dressing room cancer who has to go for the culture. Layer two is Gennduzi, one of our few saleable assets with a high ceiling who's entering, who has two years left on his contract and either needs to resign or potentially be sold. So I'm curious which one of those two factors do you think is driving the ship. And I the cynical part of me kicked in this morning over my coffee when I realized, a lot of times, when clubs have to move on a player that they'd ideally not like to move on, and they're doing it for contract reasons or economic reasons, sometimes all of a sudden ancillary stories pop up around the player that help sort of ease the exodus in the in the minds of of fans. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been falling out with Genduzi; there clearly have been been issues, but it is convenient given that he's got two years left on his deal, and we may have felt that we needed to sell him anyway. That now these stories are are becoming more front and center. So. Do you have a thought on him going and and whether it is something that we can really allow to happen this summer?
2: I, I think the contract should be the driver, really, and, and and I think it should be as simple as um if he won't sign sell. Um and, and that might force the issue anyway, so that the other stuff might become kind of irrelevant. Um I so I guess the question is, do do we offer him a new contract or do we consider him such a you know such a troublesome presence that we can't entertain doing that either. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of split on it because on one hand, I think we're going to have to flip someone um, that perhaps we ideally wouldn't want to because there's not a lot of value in the players who are definitely going to leave in the next 12 to 18 months. And then another part of me thinks that um, we can't exactly spare good midfielders. Um, and, And I do see him in that In that Xhaka role, um, to be honest, and I know you see him a bit further up. I I really like him in that kind of deep position, although I'm not sure how honed his defensive instincts are, and maybe that's an impediment to that. Maybe he can play as part of a double pivot. I don't know. But I I guess if we sold him, we couldn't really say we enormously miss him at the moment because midfield's such a mess. It's very difficult to evaluate who's a problem and who isn't. I, d- I don't think any of them individually are problems. I think they're all decent enough players. Um, it's, it's just there isn't a combination of them that really works. I, like, I, I'm i a bit split on it. I, I guess I'd rather keep him, but I guess I'm also not really privy to the severity of what's happened behind um, behind the scenes, and that would obviously shape my opinion. So my, my call on it is let the contract dictate, and if he won't sign then yeah, we, we, we'll have to sell him anyway so that the rest of the stuff kind of becomes a sideshow anyway.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I think is pretty clear, there is nothing that starts more fights, more abuse, more angry exchanges on social media than just disagreeing about a player. You know, like I, I see weaknesses in Joe Willick's game and my goodness, people do not appreciate that, let me tell you. Um, I see Gendouzi as having a very high ceiling and being, right now I see Ginduzi as a better player than Joe Willick. And if you said to me, we're going to have one of them for the next 10 seasons, who's it going to be? I'd say, please let it be Matteo Ganduzi. Having that opinion will cause me to catch tons of shit. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's just player evaluation. I look at those two players and I see it one way. And I know plenty of people see it the other way. Clive, I mean, it really does boil down to how you see the player. If you think Ganduzi's crap, then selling him for $40 million is going to seem like a really smart thing to do. If you think Ganduzi is has a future as one of the best central midfielders in Europe, then you think selling him at just turned 21 years old when we have a rebuild to do would be pretty silly. There's a lot of gray area in between that. So for you, is it as simple as if we can get the right price, sell him, and if we can't keep him, or is it a little more complicated than that?
4: Uh, Yeah, I think contractually we've got a two-year period coming up, so that means we could be, you know, potentially he could be going. For me, yeah, yeah I, I, you're absolutely right. The, I look at the football player, and I say, Oh, well, let's let's talk about the football player, shall we? Let's talk about that because we can." The rest is subjectivity, you know. You know, some people like him as a deep lying role. So, okay, let's com- let's compare what you need for a deep lying role. You need to be able to take the ball in the half turn, shift it to the side you want it to go really, really quickly, and have a good picture. I don't think he's very good at that. You need to get it onto your strong side really quickly, so you can, so you can have a long driving pass, or you can punch through the lines. I think he likes to travel with the ball, have a few touches, then he wants to play his pass. Prime target for a press, right? He likes to buy a foul in the in when he when he goes past people. In England, some people say, "Get out, be long gear. We're not giving you that foul. Too risky, right? So, I don't think he's that great under extreme pressure when he's got no bodies around him. I think he's quite good as a hard work. I don't I hate using that word, hard working, but a bustling. Uh, a bustling midfielder, wants to grab hold of a game. He's quite, he's quite, you know, quite combative, in, in in a smart way. He nicks it, he gets in, he gets, he gets into people. But I think he needs a big space and a big responsibility to be who he wants to be. And I think Emery gave him that, and that's why he flourished with Emery. I think whether we want that, I'm not so sure, because we don't want everything to be about one player. We want to be much more collective and much more flexibility. I don't think he's got the pace to cover big spaces consistently. Um, and if you play him as a 10, which I think is quite interesting, the reason why you want to play him as a 10, because maybe you don't quite trust him at the base. To you play him as a 10, I think there's potential there, but he doesn't really shoot consistently. He's not a scorer. He has got ability to assist. I think that will develop in his game. So I think at the moment we have this all-around player that's not quite good at anything yet. Really good. But that's okay. He's 20, 21, right? That's absolutely fine. Then you say to yourself, okay, I need to do a rebuild here. And he's got a big price on his on his neck at, at the age of twenty twenty-one. And if I can get you know players that give me more flexibility, I have I can buy a deep line player that can pass forty five yards either side and receive it on the half turn. And I can have something else in there that gives me the combativeness, to drive, the ability to do what Willows did on Saturday, but do it in a much more forceful way in a much more consistent way, in a much more adult way. And I think you've got to say to yourself, that's a potential. And I think during this rebuild, we're going to see some painful decisions. You know, we're going to see, we're going to see people that we really, really like go. Mm. And it's all about, we've got to accept it, you know. You know, Behring could go. Aubameyang could go. Lacazette could go. Quite easily, classic we know, okay, that's going to go. Mustafi, Socrates, please, let's hope we go. Right, But there's two or three of those guys there. We really like them. We wouldn't like to see them go. We'd like to see them develop here. We have to be honest with ourselves. We're sitting eighth, ninth in the table. We're 40 points behind Liverpool. Mm-hmm. We've got a long way to go. So if everything was so good then why are we not 25 points further up? Yeah. You know, so yeah. we have to accept this as ourselves as a form of acceptance that the talent, we, we can sometimes over, overplay it, overplay their ability to be competitive. And we need to look at our players a slightly different way. And when we're projecting forward, look at the skill sets they have that allows that competitive edge to increase. The best teams have it. They have the ability to compete in the moment one-on-one that edge and that's what we want to develop, you know, you know, in a way that really changes the the dynamic of our team. And I think there's an opportunity here. But if he was to stay and really be on board and develop at Arsenal, how could I say that's not a good thing as well? You know, so it's just where he is at the moment. I'm I'm happy if he goes and we get paid and I'd be really happy if he stays and he develops and be the player that you think he's gonna be at it.
1: Yeah, and and I mean Look, it's at, at this age, it's speculation, right? I mean, we don't know for sure that Joe Willick will be good or Matteo Ganduzzi will be good. William Saliba will be good. We don't know for sure that Saka will be good. I think he will. Of course I think he will. But, like, you look at Oxlade-Chamberlain. Oxlade-Chamberlain is a guy who has all the talent in the world can't stay fit, and you just never know. I mean maybe Martinelli winds up now having knee issues his entire career, God forbid, you know, but like it's the point that at this age, the number of things that ha- have to go right, the number of things that have to go right in a career for you to have a great career as a professional footballer are astronomical and the odds of it happening are not very good. So even if you have all the talent in the world, there's still a lot of things you have to navigate. I would argue that Jack Wilshire had all the ta- talent in the world and we know what happened there. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I, I rate Matteo Ganduzzi. If you don't, you think I sound like an idiot right now, which is probably par for the course, so good. We're all we're all where we belong. Um, I do think that in general, if you're building a squad that's really light on talent and really needs a rebuild, and you've got a lot of what we, what we used to call deadwood, players that aren't going to take us anywhere. You know, you might say Shaq is better than Ganduzi. I don't agree. I don't even think he's better than him right now. Okay, that shows you where I am on Ganduzi. But think about this for a second. Let's say Shaq is better than Ganduzi. Shaka's not going to get any better. He is who he is. His flaws, his qualities, they are what they are. And we have never finished top four with Shaka in the team. Okay? So we're probably not going to get to where we need to go with Shaka. Gendouzi, at least at just turn 21, has upside. If you keep Gendouzi, there's a possibility that he performs to the higher level of his potential outcomes and makes us a lot better. There's also the, the, the chance that he's just a big pain in the ass and never reaches his potential. That's true of any young player. But my point is, Shaka is a fixed asset. Kolasinac is a fixed asset, right? These are players who, you know who they are, you know what they are, you know what they'll give you. I think we need more players like Saka, like Gendouzi, like Martinelli, you know, in that caliber, who are good players today and young enough to potentially be great players. And... um, Ideally, at this stage of a rebuild, you wouldn't want to be moving those players on. But, but if he is a culture cancer, and I don't think that's clear. I mean, Arteta has used him. I certainly don't think there's any question about his hard work, right? I mean, he, he, he. I think the worst thing a professional could do is just not work hard on the training ground or on the pitch. I think he does that. But Paul, I'll finish with you then. I mean, I believe in culture as as a thing. I think I believe in talent as more of a thing. But certainly, there has to be a balance. Where do you strike that balance and, and how do you come down on, the, on what the decision surrounding Ganduzi needs to be?
3: I think Ganduzi is somewhere between a really good and a great player, and time will tell. I think part of the limitation, the, the knock against him, and the reason he's a problem player on the pitch is he hogs he the ball, he travels too far with the ball, and while he has a level of athleticism, it may just be because he's 21. At 24, 25, he might appear a pretty slow player. And for a guy who likes to hold on to the ball so much, um, you know, you want a player who can go past his man. And he kind of can at the moment, but he still doesn't have that burst you really need to take him to the other side of a player. For a guy who wants to hold on to the ball that much, he travels too much with the ball. That's why I thought he was was particularly eye-catching at Southampton because he was the man, so he had to sit deep and play from there. And that was a discipline I think he benefited from. He didn't have to work out his work share with the other guy, with Torreira or Chaka. Um, But here's where I come down on the, should we keep him? Should we let him go? Arteta hasn't used him as a starter. Ganduzi certainly hasn't solved any of the manager's problems in the last 12 or so months. Um, And Arteta needs to rebuild his midfield to whatever model he's looking for. And Chaka's is not a saleable uh, item in the same way Gunduzi is. And for all the upside you talk about, that's why he's a saleable item, uh, Gunduzi. So I'm like, it, though it pains me, it may make a lot of sense. If if Arteta doesn't think Gunduzi's the answer, then building a midfield around him, which is kind of what you have to do with a guy who's, who's that much of a free spirit, talented though he may be, but he's not yet athletic enough to kind of give you one of maybe if you have two, three midfielders and you need one or two of them to be very athletic. Well, you know, who's if you got Torreira or you got Chaka, they're not going to cover the ground the way you want them to. So now you're back to having the problem again. So, you know, we have so many pieces that almost make a midfield, but don't quite. I, I see this as a AFR Teta wants to cash in and get 40 grand because other clubs also see this upside. You see Elliot, Mm -hmm. then so be it. That's that may just have to be how it is.
1: Yeah. I, I think it is also the reality that as you rebuild with young players at some point, some of it's not going to work out the way you hope, you know I mean? it, It just is what it is. Like, I mean, and you, you, what you can't do is you can't contort your squad building. I, I, concept and your your culture and everything you're doing around one albeit very talented player in my mind I think every player has a price. I mean Clive you say this they're all expendable. If the right price comes in for Saka tomorrow you sell him. I'm not saying I'd be excited to do it. I'm not saying I'd want to, but if someone offered you 120 million pounds for Saka tomorrow you do it. And it's just you, you know fans can be protective of players, but the people running clubs can't at that level. Um I think that's plenty for this game given that we're doing basically a podcast every single day. Tim sent the podcasting schedule out to whatsapp this morning and i nearly choked on my breakfast (laughs) looking at what we have ahead of us um literally a podcast every single day this week so good luck listening to them all uh if you'd like to sign up for patreon what we're doing with the pre uh the preview and and uh instant reaction pods is we've given ourselves a structure which quite clearly we didn't have on this pod um and the structure for the previews and and the uh Instant reactions will stay the same for each pod to kind of make it fun and 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 give it a little more direction. So if you want to sign up and listen to those, we'd love to have you. But if not, certainly love to have you on these, and these will keep coming out after every single match. So hope you enjoy them. Um, always better when we win. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive.
4: Thank you very much.
1: Pause on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Very excited uh, that we are winning the FA Cup again. Uh did not necessarily expect that this season, but now that it's done, I'm I'm pretty happy about it. So that's good. So uh, you know, league, who cares about the league? We got the FA Cup and that's what's important. My name's Elliot Smith can Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh give us a five star review, write nasty things about Scott. We do have to have Scott back on, so I will work on getting that done very soon. But plenty of pods for him to be on. So no shortage there. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal Ten Norst Notes.